There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast, where we talk all things cricket from across Australia and around the world. Now, we've got a very special guest on today's uh, podcast. Uh, we're joined by Ashton Agar, all the way from the United Arab Emirates. Welcome, Ashton. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Ashton, you're on the home stretch of quarantine now in Abu Dhabi. What's your setup like in your hotel room? What's your routine like? Uh, yeah, give us a bit of a tour, an audio tour of your room, mate. Setup's good. Um, always nice hotels and hotel rooms over here. Uh, we've got a little balcony, uh, which is key. I think some access to fresh air is, is always good and also the heat, to be honest. Um, nice big bed, good bathroom. Yeah, certainly can't complain. Can never complain about the hotels we get. Um, we're very lucky in that regard. But um, now the routine's solid. I'm, I'm not usually like a big routine person, but it's probably taken me the best part of five two-week quarantines um, to actually get better. So this time um, I'm spending much less time on my phone. I'm actually reading a little bit more, I'm listening to a few more podcasts, watching my TV series and stuff. But um, generally just like my breakfast comes at 8 a.m. I go outside um, in the sun, play a bit of music, have a coffee and an orange juice. That's pretty good. Then I'll just do what I, what I feel like doing. And at the moment that's... Um, that's reading um, podcasts. And then we have a kind of daily sort of workout out on the balcony, which is good um, because to experience the heat uh, is crucial before going into a world cup over here. It is so hot like yesterday and the day before were 37, 38 degrees. Um, and just to feel the heat, get a sweat up, get used to that a bit. So it doesn't shock you so much when you actually let free to go and train and play. Um, so yeah, the last few days have been really nice. Right. So you're, uh, you're pretty well sorted in quarantine, mate, by the sounds of it. That's, uh, mm. that's very good to hear. Um, you got married early this year. Maybe, uh, let's, let's start. We know you got a world cup coming up, Ash, but, mm. um, yeah, maybe let's start a little bit, uh, a little bit earlier, um, earlier in the year and yeah, some pretty exciting news for you. Yeah. It was a big few months actually. Um, you know, we had a number of weddings. We had, uh, AJ Ty was before me. Um, Hilton Cartwright, Darcy Short, and myself, um, Adam Zampa as well after me. So it was like a really fun few months. Honestly, you, I couldn't imagine a better few months, like just full of love and celebration. Obviously, when it's your own wedding, um, it was incredible. We put so much time and effort into into that day and for it all to go off really nicely and everyone to have a great time and, and just feel all the love and energy that was coming our way. Um, you know, my wife, uh, Maddie and I, we just, we just loved it. So, um, yeah, I couldn't have been happier. It was, and it's nice to have those times, I think, before you go away, you know, that was before we went on the Bangladesh and West Indies tour. So 
once you have time like that, you're really happy to go away again and get stuck back into your work and, and put up with a couple of quarantines, you know, because you've enjoyed your time at home. And the same probably goes for the past six weeks. I've had an incredible six weeks. You know, it's been training, you know, three or four times a week um, of, you know, uh, skills, running and weights um and then in the in-between times it's it's pretty much just enjoy your time at home and enjoy your time with your loved ones and your friends and um your family although my family are in melbourne i got to see wes again in adelaide when we played the one day against them so when you have these stints at home making the most of them enjoying it um certainly helps your um mental state and freshens you up and gets you ready to go away again now you mentioned Wes and you mentioned the tours to the West Indies and Bangladesh. Uh, you presented Wes with his cap. Can you talk us through that um, experience that you had over there in Barbados? Um, pretty hard to put that stuff into words. Uh, easily, like by so far, my favourite um, moment I've ever had on, on a cricket field, to be honest. like It's greater than anything I've achieved on a field um i've never felt nerves or emotion or pride like that before uh on, on a field so um yeah it was great really special i guess i'm really lucky you know anyone who gets to present an australian cap is, is very fortunate um let alone to present it to your little brother who you love and care for a lot um was huge i guess it's something we always aspired to do was play for australia um you know, Will, Wes and I, I guess Wes and I have done that, but Will in his own right was a, a great cricketer and he's on to bigger and better things in the, in the corporate world. And, um, you know, he's achieving some big things as well, which is fantastic. So, um, you know, as a whole family, you know, I, I just guess felt the weight of um, my whole family that day. I think it was a shame they couldn't be there because they're in Melbourne and, and locked down. Um, we're all very close, but um, so I had I felt a lot of responsibility to um, tell Wes how much um, we loved him, um, how much how proud of him we were, and that nothing really mattered. Whatever happened that day happened, but you know no one can ever take away the fact that um, you know he's an Australian one day cricketer now. It's uh, it's funny you should mention your family. I know it's a it's a very tight knit family. I uh, I actually spoke to your mum uh, earlier on that tour when um, I think it was in St Lucia and we were planning a little mm. video with you and Wes and I was digging up some dirt from your childhood, and uh, your mum Sonia was uh, was really fantastic with some of the details that she um that she gave. But but before she hung up the phone, she said. Uh, I've got one, I've just got a dream that if Wes is to make his debut on this tour, I want Ash to present his cap to him. Oh, did yeah. Did you kind of know yeah. that, did you know that, yeah, that that was um, what she wanted? Oh, I think, yeah, it's what she wanted. I think it's probably what everyone wanted, to be honest. And I think that was probably the obvious thing that was going to happen if, if Wes did play, um, that I was probably going to present his cap to him. Um, it's just a really nice moment. You think it's going to be really special. Um, you know, everyone thought that it would be special before it happened, but I guess when it's actually happening, that's when like the emotion hits you. Um, you know, I'd written down a few things the night before and I remember actually, um, when the boys are doing their pregame warmup and, and stuff like before the official warmup, I was just sitting on the steps, um, in Barbados and, um, like that lead down to the ground reading my notebook. And, and what I'd written down, because I was like, gee, I want to get this really right. 
you know, I do not want to stuff this up. And I was like, oh, I was honestly, like my hand was like shaking, like holding the notebook because I was like, Jesus, this is about to happen. And I think the whole weight of the occasion just kind of hit me. Um, but yeah, it was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, and you, and you did a wonderful job, mate. Um, have you had a chance to, I guess, catch up the, the whole family um, since the occasion? Uh, no, no, no. Um, obviously not not in person. Um, you know, being in Perth, I can't get to Melbourne. I actually can't remember the last time I went to Melbourne. I think it's been probably close to two years um, that I've actually been home to Melbourne and, and spent time with my family. You know, they came uh, to Perth for my wedding when the borders opened up. And that was amazing and really lucky because it all got shut down really quickly when they got home. Um, and I hadn't seen mum, dad and Will for, I think it was about a year and three months or a year and four months before um, I saw them for my wedding. Um, so that made that time even more special. Um, yeah, I really miss them. Um, they're my favorite people. Um, you know, and, and I'm close to them and I, I talk to them a lot, which is great. Um, so, you know, that relationship never, never changes. Um, but I'm looking forward to the day that I get to see him a lot more and, and you know, travel and spend some good time with him. Thank you. That's what I needed. Gets through. A lot of movement around the crease and Agar gets his first wicket tonight. Clever stuff from Ashton Agar. And just on that tour, it was a really interesting tour to watch from afar. Um, some of the pitches were, you know, pretty crazy in Bangladesh, for example. What do you guys take out of that tour and how's that going to help you for the upcoming T20 World Cup? Honestly, I don't think conditions get more difficult than that um, for an Australian team. There are conditions uh, that we rarely face or we pretty much never face. Uh, particularly growing up, playing a lot of your professional life. You know, you're playing pretty good wickets um, that are far more conducive to fast bowling or just more batter-friendly pitches, to be honest, in Australia. So going over there, uh, I think everyone was forced to think of ways to improve, get better, um, adapt and sort of overcome, I guess, and perform. Um, we lost that series, but I think everyone will have left Bangladesh a better player. You, I've heard you talk quite a bit about, um, I guess, almost recapturing the joy of the backyard and, and the fun that you have there and, and kind of adapting mm. it to international cricket. Does that, I mean, maybe maybe you could explain, Is did something prompt that, mate? Like, did you, um, did that come from somewhere? And and the I guess the, the other side of the question is, did, did it help on that on that tour just given, you know, it was almost like probably like playing in your backyard in Bentley on some of those pitches? Yeah, it, it was. Um, yeah. When you're um, trying different things, you often go back to times or you think of times where you've been really experimental and often those times have been in, in the backyard or the front yard or wherever it is you're playing a really fun game of cricket for cricket's sake um, when there's nothing riding on the game but um, pride and, and hopefully getting a hit because you get one of your brothers out. You know, um, They're the times uh, when you have the most fun in exploring everything um, that cricket can be, everything that it can give you, everything you can uh, give it, if that makes sense. So 
Um, now that's kind of what all cricket feels like for me. It's this opportunity to, um, to grow, to be open to whatever is in front of me and to just lean into that um, bit of anxiety, um, lean into that feeling, or, you know, is it going to go right? Is it going to go wrong? I don't know. Leaning to that unknown and just see what could happen. Because sometimes you try something out in the middle, uh, it goes really well. And particularly when you do that in international cricket, you're like, oh my God, like, that's it. You know, why, why didn't I just do that before? Why didn't I just give that a crack? So that playfulness, I'm trying to take that into every game. And that, that's why I enjoy the game. There's just so much possibility. Does that extend to bowling leg spin, mate? I, I reckon I saw you bowl one. I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was in Bangladesh or the West Indies. <laughs> oh, maybe not bowling leg spin as it is, um, but just trying to bowl balls that go the other way. Um, I was bowling to Shakib. Al Hassan, you know, he's Bangladesh's best player, um, left-hander. He was hitting to the shorter boundary and I'm obviously spinning the ball into him. And I was like, well, there's no better time than now on a, on a pitch that's spinning a little bit to try and bowl a few balls that go the other way. And I bowled five in a row to him. Um, I bowled six that game. I bowled five, you know, dot balls or singles with it. And they all landed. I was like, oh my God, that's incredible. I bowled one, which was a full toss um, that almost got hit for six. And I was like, well, I'm pretty happy with that if I've, you know, the first few times I've really done that in a game. Uh, and it's just kind of given me the confidence to just go, oh, well, let, let's give this a go. And, and hopefully it works really well. So is that your own version of the Jeff delivery or has you got your own name for it or something uh, like that? No, nah, I've got no names for it, to be honest. It's just the ball that goes the other way. There's a lot of names floating about. I don't know what I would call it, to be honest. I know. Zamps is Zamps is working on a secret ball at the moment, which is he's got a good name for. We're pretty excited to unveil that one. So right. stay any, tuned for that. Any more details you can share about that? Um well, I want to give you so much, but you know <laughs> what? I'm I'm just gonna I'm not, no more details. Hey, I'm just gonna let him create the suspense. <laughs> spinners spinners have always got some little mystery up your sleeve, don't you? Yeah, there's always something there, isn't it? I think we're just a bit more exciting. We've got a bit more about us, you know. It's not always just the normal down-the-line stuff. But yeah, that's it. Whether it be, I don't know what it is, you know, cricket, fashion sense, things we enjoy. It's a bit more fun, I guess. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a very good point. Now, you've got some. You've got a lot of spin company over there. You've got Adam Zamper, obviously, and, and Mitch Swepson, but... Mm. Um, I guess probably the thing we haven't seen before is, a, well, sorry, we've seen it before, we have, but we haven't seen it in a while, is a full-strength Australian T20 team. I mean, how much of a boost is it to to kind of have the likes of Cummins, uh, Smith, Warner? Have you kind of played in a, in a full-strength international T20 team, you know, ever? Yeah, I reckon I've, uh, I have before. Um, and it's very exciting. I think when we played against Pakistan and Sri Lanka at home and had really big convincing victories pretty much every game. And it's a special feeling walking out there with a really good group of players, knowing that you belong in that side. And you, you kind of look around and you're like, oh, this is great. Like everyone just knows what they're doing. Everyone knows the role on their side. And you just kind of go out there and try and put on a show. Um, everyone just brings it all at once and the results can be fantastic when that happens, you know, and 
no matter what side you put on the park every game, if, if you go out there with the right attitude um, and a willingness to just take it on, I think uh, that anything's possible at any time. But it certainly helps when you've got the best players, some of the best players in the world in your team. So, you know, and it makes our job a lot easier. You know, Zamps and I, we've had a lot of success recently. But um, when you have someone like Starkey swinging the ball at 150 Ks in the first over, or you got Paddy Cummins who just does not miss. Um, you know, the list goes on. Kane Richardson bowling these deep in the handballs that no one can pick. Like, it, it's just awesome. Um, so we all um, hopefully make each other's jobs a little bit easier. You and Zams have made a really good partnership over the last few years. Is there much of a rivalry between you two? I mean, you're both ranked inside the top <sighs> 10 in the ICC at the minute. Any sort of rivalry or is it just friendship all the way? I think the best part about us is there's, there's no rivalry. Like, he's a leg spinner, I'm an off spinner. So, there you go. Like, um, we play different roles. You know, I, I bat a little bit higher. Um, we, we play just different roles in that side that complement each other really well, I think. And we've kind of got that down to a bit of a fine art now. And to be fair, we're just, we're just good friends, um, Samson and I. We enjoy a lot of similar music. We, away from the game, like, Samson and I talk about like food, fashion, music, you know, all of the stuff that we really enjoy. And we kind of bond over that mystery deliveries. Hector, Hector Bellerin, he's one of our, our, our favorite, you know, athletes slash fashionistas at the moment. So maybe that's a little hint as to his new delivery, but you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff we, um, we just get along well, you know, so that's uh, cool. And, and that sort of clicks when we go out there on the field. Fair to say it's a it's slightly alternative vibe from from you two. Maybe not the traditional <laughs> Australian cricketer we've we've gotten used to in the past. I think it's just being people. Hey, like we just want to bring that sense of normality and, and just being normal people who aren't cricketers first. You know, where where um, where Ashton Agar and Adam Zampa first. Um, we also happen to be Australian cricketers, but we like a lot of things that a lot of normal people like. And I guess we celebrate those um, because it's pretty easy to get stuck in this bubble of cricket. Um, that's going to finish one day. And you know, that that's not your whole life, I guess. And you mentioned music and you've spent a lot of time in quarantine. So what have you been consuming over the last few days and weeks? What sort of music, what type of books are you reading and Jeez. what podcasts are you listening to? Nice. Nice. Um, oh, Man, like, where do I start? Um, lots of music, a lot of different stuff. Like, it goes from old stuff to new stuff, alternative type of, of music. Um, there's a song that Zamp and I listen to a lot. It's called Why Won't They Talk To Me by Tame Impala. Genius song. But there's actually this YouTube video of this girl just strumming on this guitar. And the version of this song is amazing. So often, like, after games, we'll just chuck that on repeat for a while and sometimes have a, have a drink after the game together in each other's room or whatever and have a laugh. Um, podcast, I'm listening to a guy called Andrew Huberman. He's this um, neuroscientist, neurobiologist. Um, Marcus Stoinis got me onto that podcast. Very interesting, very educational. Um, actually delving into the real science behind all of these crazes, fads, everything that you're hearing. So that's been really cool. Um, a nice way to keep learning. 
books I'm reading at the moment. Uh, I'm almost finished this book called Breath. So, you know, the new science of a lost art. So that's about breathing and how to, I guess, improve your, um, your well-being through the breath, which has been great. So, yeah, but the music, geez, I'll, I'll have to take you through my Spotify, I guess. It's wonderful. We could talk about it all day, but we, uh, our listeners uh, have tuned in for a cricket podcast, not a music or a new yeah. podcast. No, no, all not good. a, not a criticism. It's, uh, we're very interested in it and I hope they are too, but we will, my point is we will ask you about the cricket. Um, and you've got, nice. uh, some tough opposition coming up. Uh, I mean, they're all, mm. they're all tough opposition, but particularly England and West Indies who are, your, I believe your third and your fifth games. Um, when you kind of, look ahead have you got kind of got an eye to to those games and maybe how you're going to stop some of the bigger hitters in those teams probably not more of an eye to those games than any of the games before it um you know i've got an eye on the first day of training to be honest mm. that's that's how i personally that's how i function that's how i seem to get the best out of myself uh because i think the danger is you can hype these games up too much and you end up playing them in your head before they even happen. And you go out there with these ideas, something completely different can happen when you actually get out there in the game. And all of a sudden you're like, Jesus, like, what do I do now? Because you've rehearsed this thing over and over and then you're stuck, but you can't adapt from there. So I try not to do that too much. Um, but again, different things work for different people. So I'm not saying that's any right or wrong. That probably is just what works for me. Um, but the thing is, it's obvious that they're really good teams. They've got really good big hitters. But I also think of what they might be thinking about us. And we're a really good team. We've got really good hitters, um, really good bowlers. I think every team is a good team. And every team is just going to bring it as hard as they can um, in this tournament. So that that's the fun part. But we have all of the footage, um, all of the analysis, all of the data available to us. So. We'll use that appropriately. Everyone will do their homework and hopefully the best result um, is that we win those games. I'll admit it was a little bit of a leading question because I did want to ask you about the West Indies in particular, who um, mm. you guys obviously played against earlier this year. It was, a, it was a tough loss, but I noted at the end of that series, you had a pretty good chat to one of their big hitters. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about that? Yeah, obviously. Uh, Andre Russell, uh, he... Um, came out there. I think he hit the first ball of his series, you know, for six. And we were all like, oh my God. And then he just kept hitting the ball for six. And it felt like nothing you could do could stop him at times. But there seemed to be a really consistent method to how he went about it, you know, in his setup, the way he stepped, the way he swung the bat, and obviously in his mindset. Um, now, I'm not Andre Russell. I'm not built anything like him. You know, we're similar height, but he's about, you know, five times the size of me. <laughs> you know, he's a much stronger guy than I am. But I, yeah, after the series, I just went up to him and I said, mate, can you please tell me a little about, a little bit about how you go about it? What, what's your mindset? Um, why, why does your technique look this way? And um, how do you do it sort of thing? And to his credit, he just gave me heaps of time uh, and to be fair, the way he spoke was was inspirational. You know, he just oozed confidence. Um, you could just see, like, in his eyes that he had this full confidence in his ability and that he knew that any ball that came into his areas was going to go over six. But 
he also had a very clear picture and was able to explain very clearly step by step how he goes about it um, technically. Uh, and I, I was really impressed by that. So it became obvious as to why he can do that consistently out in the middle. Um, so yeah, I was really grateful for that because it's always really cool um, when someone gives you their time uh, and makes you feel valued. Are there any aspects of his um, setup and his method that you can use or is it just purely an Andre Russell thing? No, I think um, you can take anything from any player you want and I guess you've got to um, maybe look at different players, look at their setups and um, take little bits and pieces from them and weave them into your game and, and create this kind of like tool belt, utility belt that could help you one day. Um, so just to practice those things and have them there and having them there um, will make you a better player because you have way more range that way rather than sticking to your own method all the time. The good thing about T20 cricket and playing around the world is you've got access and to all of these guys and all of this knowledge. So, you know, it would be pretty foolish not to utilize that as much as possible. So yeah, I'm not going to walk out there trying to bat like Andre Russell. I'm still going to be Ashton Agar, but um, maybe with a little bit more skill now and maybe with something technically that might help me when the opportunity presents itself. It's such an interesting insight into Russell because I think there's still this perception in T20 cricket that, uh, especially in the lower order guys, it's just, you know, go out there and try and hit the ball for six, right? And basically what you're saying Mm -hmm. is a guy who couldn't look more – free-spirited in a way is actually one a really deep thinker about how he goes about it. Yeah, I, I don't know if you'd say like, um, is it deep thinking or not? Maybe in the fact that he's, he's put a lot of thought into how he's going to go about it, but then that allows him when he's out there to be really simple. So, because when he does it, it looks so easy and, and it's simple. And it's like, no matter where the ball is, he just got this method. And that's what he's going to do. And he does it really well. Um, so that's the simplicity of it, maybe because he's put a lot of thought and time and effort in, into being that. So, um, and he spoke about the way he practices. You know, he, he practices hitting sixes and he loves practicing one over scenarios where he, he has to chase, you know, ungettable targets or targets that seem unrealistic. And he tries to face the best bowler um, each time. You know, he often says he gets um, Dwayne Bravo to bowl to him in the nets. And they have these battles and I've played with um, Dwayne Bravo at Middlesex and that's exactly how he trained with the ball. He just did one over scenarios and he just tried to execute his slower ball, his Yorker and his bouncer. So then when they get out in the middle, they're ready for that type of stuff. All right. So back to the Aussies, Uh, you know, your squad pretty well and you've played with everyone in Mm. the squad, obviously. Who's going to surprise the Aussie fans at home this tournament? Who do you reckon is in for a big tournament? Good question. I don't know. Um, it's going to be hard to pick um, someone who's going to surprise the fans so much, I guess, because everyone has seen a lot of this team play some amazing cricket over the years. Um, you know, we're, we've played together for a while. It's a really good experienced group now. So that that's one massive positive taking into a World Cup. But um, a guy who surprises me all the time, uh, and fans, uh, or maybe who excites the most is, is probably uh, Glenn Maxwell rather than surprise is, is the guy who entertains and excites and inspires. I'd say that's Glenn. 
Um, you know, he, he's out there hitting balls to all parts of the ground, left-handed and right-handed. So you could imagine how difficult that is to bowl to and protect uh, as an opposition or defend against. Um, and when you actually try and do this stuff, like when you even just go to practice it in the nets or you try and hit a ball with your opposite hand or even, even just catch a ball one-handed with your opposite, you start realising how difficult this is, let alone to hit the ball 100 metres um, with your non-dominant side. Pretty special. So, um, you know, sometimes it's going to come off, sometimes it isn't, but just having someone who has that ability um, is massive for us. Before we let you go, Ashton, and, and speaking of surprises, I suppose, the one that um, I, th- I heard Mitch Marsh say yesterday that might come as a slight surprise to, um, to Aussie fans who might just be tuning in for this World Cup was he was talking about the middle order um, being, I guess, being important for them to be able to float and potentially, you know, maybe, um, you know, your traditional number three batter might slot down the order or um, or a number four might come further up if, if conditions dictate is uh, am I reading too much into what into what Mitch said there, or is that something we should uh, expect to see from Australia at this World Cup? Oh, I think that's um, a pretty standard practice in T Twenty cricket now. That the you've pretty much got your top three a lot of the time, and then after that, the, the order can chop and change depending on what the situation of that game um, demands. You know, um, whether it be left hand, right hand combination. So you've got a small boundary at all times. Um, whether you've got the really good players of spin going in, if they're bowling a lot of spin during the middle, all of these different things. I think we've got quite an, an adaptable batting order, let alone middle order. So that, that's a big strength of ours. Um, and I'm, I'm glad Mitch said that because, it, you know, someone going back to who might surprise everyone, Jesus, Mitch is hitting the ball as well as I've seen him hit a ball. You know, he started doing that in the West Indies. It was so obvious. He just was pumping the short ball for six. Then that ball full, he'd crunch it over the head for six. It's incredible. And the way he's improved his play against spin has been phenomenal. You know, he's someone who's gone uh, from someone who I used to love bowling to to now in the nets, I'm actually like, if I bowl a bit full to him, I'm like running out of the way. Like, it's actually pretty scary. So, uh, and he's really loving that and owning that. Um and just celebrating, I guess, his ability out there now with, with, with no fear of what people are thinking or going to say about him. You know, he's just going out and doing Mitch Marsh. And so I, I hope he goes really well. Well, he did say that he'd asked Adam Zampa before the West Indies tour for advice on how he could get better as a as a batter against spin. Um, so, yeah, I mm. didn't realise that you and Adam had enjoyed bowling to him so much. No, nah, we'd just take the mickey sometimes, I guess. You know, like it's it's always... It's just fun little battles you have with someone. And I guess he's starting to win a few more of those battles than we are. So that's a good thing um, for the Australian T20 team. Um, but credit to Mitch, he's, he's taken that on. He probably identified that as an area that he needed to improve on. And now it's like an area of absolute strength. You know, he's sweeping, reverse sweeping and hitting down the ground. Um, you couldn't ask for much more than that. Ashton, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on the Unplayable podcast. All the best for the T20 World Cup, and we cannot wait to see these mystery deliveries uh, in an actual match. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Quicker, slower. Yes! Oh, that is really close. Agar gets it.
That's his second leg before wicket. And KL Rahul. And in Ashes news, this week uh, England announced their tentative Ashes squad that was going to travel to Australia for this year's series. Um, Louis, what did you make of the squad? No Ben Stokes, no Joffrey Archer, no Moen Ali and no Sam Curran, all for different reasons. Um, but there were some ins, including Joss Butler. Yeah, you said it was tentative and it, it did come with a disclaimer that it was conditional. So um, we expect the Ashes to go ahead, don't worry, but uh, maybe worry a little bit. No, I don't know. I, I think I think we should be fine. Um, everything should be fine, shouldn't it, Josh? Um, but, yeah, I mean, Ben Stokes, Archer, I mean, Stokes and Archer weren't a surprise really, although I have noticed since that Stokes tweeted uh, a slightly cryptic uh, picture of him holding a bat. Did you see that? Yeah, so on his Instagram as well, I think. Mm. Uh, is that maybe just a little hint to selectors that he could still be around if available? Well, I think Chris Silverwood, the coach and a sole selector, I believe as well, he said that it was basically like an open door for, for Ben that right. whenever, um, you know, his phone's always on and, you know, whenever he's feeling better because he's obviously been going through um, some mental health stuff and we hope he, you know, hope he comes comes out of that well. Um, and Silverwood kind of said, yeah, the, the phone's, um, you know, give me a call, mate, anytime you, you're right. Um, it would be a real shame not to see him out here for a second straight Asher series in Australia, obviously missing 2017-18 um, after, you know, some of the other, you know, shenanigans. So, uh, yeah, overall with the squad, it felt conservative, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did, yeah. Uh, I mean, the ones that we have kind of highlighted, uh, we thought Matt Parkinson might have been a shot at making it, uh, a leg spinner who I just looked up his stats before. He's taken 102 wickets at 23 in 32 first-class games, which it's amazing blew my mind that they have a leg spinner who has those kind of stats in county cricket, which, you know, it's tough to bowl leg spin in, in those conditions. And a lot of our followers would have seen on the uh, um, social medias as well that he bowls some incredible unplayable deliveries mm. that Shane Warne has retweeted and got it right around him. It does seem a shame that we won't see a leg spinner on our shores from England this year because they've gone with Jack Leach and Don Bess, who are both finger spinners, and as you said, probably the more conservative, safe selection by England. Yeah, well, I think Leach, you know, picked himself. He was one of their leading bowlers in recent times. Um, it was pretty good in the 2019 Ashes. Don Bess, I, I suppose, I mean, maybe you, you might argue that he's actually a, a bit of a gamble, that he is actually, you know, not a conservative selection. Given, thinking back to when he went to India earlier this year, he really mm. struggled. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in between some uh, a lot of full tosses and stuff, he, he, you could see the the makings of a good test off spinner there. But, you know, maybe he'll be better for it. I mean, India tours and Australian tours, you, you might say, are as, as hard as they come for, for English test players. So, you know, maybe maybe they know something we don't or, or maybe they are actually taking a bit of a gamble with him. So, Is it too simplistic just to focus on which way they spin the ball? I mean, best spins it away from a left-hander and there aren't that many left-handers in Australia's top order. Whereas uh, Parkinson, a leg spinner, spins it away from the right-hander. Is that something they would think about or not? Is that too simplistic? Yeah, I think they would think about it. They would think about having one that goes one way, one that goes the other way. You've got to think about in Australia how you'd I – th I think there can be a tendency to think that you have to pick a really, really attacking option. Mm. Um, I think well, – you think back to a decade ago when uh, when England won in 2010-11, Graham Swan played, uh, I reckon, a pretty defensive role. And, yeah. and we know his wicket-taking ability. Mm. And he, was a, he was a fantastic spin bowler. But it was – I think it was pretty much his job to, to dry up an end, really, and, and let um, – you know, let Broad and, and Anderson were probably at the peak of their powers yeah. to do their thing back then. So 
there's a few different ways of going about it. I think the thing with that is you need the fast bowlers who you can attack with with that approach, and I'm not sure that this England squad has that. Yeah, well, let's look at those fast bowlers that they've picked. They've uh, well, they've gone with uh, Mark Wood for out and out pace, but then we've got um, some familiar names there: James Anderson, Stuart Broad. Uh, Ollie Robinson, who has sort of burst onto the scene and done well in English conditions. Um, but uh, there's always that caveat, without extra pace, how will he go in Australia? Yeah, there's a few question marks here. I think the first thing to point out is Mark Wood is an excellent bowler. And mm-hmm. I think if he gets a... I mean, fingers You're a big crossed. fan of him, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And I think fans of Test cricket just in general should be because he's, um, he's A, a wonderful bowler and B, a, a bit of a character. Um, and, you know, fingers crossed he can, he can stay fit because with no archer... And no Stone, uh, Ollie Stone is one of their other quick, you know, really over 140k mm-hmm. an hour bowlers who isn't coming out here. I think he's going to be so important because you look through the rest of them and they're all, you know, all have excellent, um, you know, excellent to um, to world-class records in, you know, James Anderson's yes, case. Yep. Uh, but England does have a long history of bringing out bowlers who bowl, you know, around Ollie Robinson's pace, let's say early 130s. He, he might have a, a little bit more in him, um, but, you know, around that pace and, and struggling. Um, and, and you kind of think Robinson's in that category, uh, although he's tall and might get a bit more bounce. Uh, Wokes is probably in that category. Yep. Overton. Overton. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, and, and Oaks and Wo- Overton, Oaks and Woverton, <laughs> Wokes and Overton have both been out here before. Um, so yeah, then you're relying on Broad and Anderson who, you know, they've been around the block. Um, can you rely on them to win your five tests or, you know, even even two or three? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. It's going to be very interesting. Another, uh, significant player that they left out was Dom Sibley. He was dropped late in the English summer and replaced with Haseeb Hamid. But a lot of people have said that he's the type of player who could really do well in, in Australian conditions. He's got a very solid technique and the ball won't move as much in Australia as it does in England. What are your thoughts on leaving him out? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, they've kind of, it's been a bit of a raffle that that top English top order um, through the last few years. Um, you know, I don't think he had a, he'd made a super strong case. The guys they brought out here, I'm probably a bit higher on than maybe some other people, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Hamid has shown really promising signs yeah. in, in tough conditions at times. I think the thing for him is they talk about one of the things that has made him really successful in the subcontinent, making a you know a, a test century on debut in, in India, uh, was his low hands. And I think you're probably going to have to have a lot higher hands in Australia because the bounce will be significantly greater. Um, they do have an absolute world-class bat to in their team in in Joe Root so I mean that's something and you know they I guess when you think back to 2017-18 and 13-14 did they have that world-class batter um Root wasn't the player he was on either of those tours um that he is now so I think England fans should be maybe a little bit more optimistic about the batting than than they have been I've been a bit surprised by how down they have been on their batting Yep. I also think um, that David Milan is a really cru- uh, shrewd selection for them, I should say. He scored a test century here on the last Ashes Tour and he was dropped not long after that, but he's come back into the team this uh, winter for them and he's already scored a lot of runs for them. I think he, he could be in for a big summer. Yeah, and I guess the question is with him at three, Root at four, I think Milan was at five for that test century. I think so, yeah. Yeah, last time he was out here. Um, so whether three, that's another step up in Australia. But, yeah, I agree with you, mate. I, I think he's a he's a really good back foot player and 
um, the one that the type of one who could go well um, down under. Rory Burns as well. I'm, I, I thought he had a really good 2019 Ashes. He, he's coming off a, a slightly more um, a more lean summer back in England, northern summer that is. Um, but he looks like the kind of guy who just finds a way to to work in Australian conditions. Uh, sorry, in all conditions. Uh, I don't, what, what do you kind of make? His technique generates a lot of um, a lot of discussion, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But results speak for themselves. And even though his um, English summer was a fair bit leaner than he would have liked, as you said, against a very good Australian attack in the 2019 Ashes, he was superb, mm. wasn't he? He was their best batter, really, in that series. Yeah, he was. Uh, the, the other one is Ollie Pope, who I, I really like him. Uh, I just think he's he's got something about him that he's he's got that look in his eye that like he he's got that competitive kind of juice in him. Um, I remember reading a little bit about him playing grade cricket in Sydney, and um, he just sounded like a, a lovely guy. I think he was actually like awarded a, a premier's medal or something. Uh, while he was out, yeah, playing grade cricket for like contributions to the community. Oh right, yeah. Wow. This was in Sydney. I'd, um, I, sh- I urge listeners to look up um, exactly what that award is because I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, I, I think both him and I think Burns has played great cricket out here as well. So whether that holds him in good stead, who knows? Do we want to comment on the Barmy Army's uh, root pain comparison, or should we let that one go through the keeper? Uh, yeah, I mean, some of that stuff, Josh, it's uh, it gets pretty old. Some of this Ashes build-up stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, mate. Do you? No, no, nothing from me. Um, let's let's yeah. move on. Glad uh, we brought it up, though. <laughs> <laughs> On Thursday, the WBBL kicks off and it's the Sydney Sixers against the Melbourne Stars to commence WBBL 07. We're very excited because on cricket.com.au, we've got tipping this year on our platform. So head to tipping.cricket.com.au if you're interested in um, picking the winners each week. Uh, And you can also check out the Scoop podcast who have done a bumper WBBL preview this week with expert Kristen Beams. They've gone through every team, every change, and made some pretty bold predictions. So head over there and listen to that podcast. I heard Kristen Beams gave one of the WBBL franchises a C plus for the off season. Yeah, well, that's pretty low for her. She's yeah. normally pretty generous. There you go. So if that uh, if that's not a good sell, I don't know what is. <laughs> Thanks again, everyone, for joining us on this week's edition of the Unplayable Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you again next week. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.